Looking for practical information to help you make decisions about your diagnosis, whether DCIS, early or metastatic breast cancer? BCNA's My Journey features articles, webcasts, videos and podcasts about breast cancer during treatment and beyond to help you, your friends and family as you progress through your journey. It also features a symptom tracker to help you manage the changing symptoms you may encounter during your own breast cancer experience. My Journey. Download the app or sign up online at myjourney.org.au. Let's be upfront about end of life. It's a tough topic for many to think about, let alone talk about. While survival rates of breast cancer are better than they ever have been, the sad reality is that 3,000 people, mostly women, will die of breast cancer each year. And it's really important to not only give those people a voice, but also support them to explore palliative care and consider end-of-life options. Joining me is Jules Domigan, who was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer two and a half years ago. Jules is 35 and married and has an almost two-year-old daughter. And yes, she was diagnosed when she was pregnant. Jules is now in palliative care and wants to talk openly and frankly. So a warning to our listeners that some of the conversations might be confronting or triggering. This is almost too sad to tell, but it's too important not to. What do you think, Jules? It is sad sometimes, but I think for the best part, it's actually been, you know, positive uh, experience. I've been able to talk to people about the things that make them happy and the things that make them sad and it's it's been a really eye-opening experience to be honest. So tell us your current situation where are you at? So currently I have stopped all chemo Uh, that essentially means that uh, the doctors believe that there's no current um, treatment programs that will improve my um my situation so i can't there's no chemo that can make the the uh cancer go away or reduce at all which a lot of the time people live for many years with metastatic breast cancer but that's not going to be the case for you is it you're not going to get the the happy ending no no i won't i I won't be um I, i won't it's not one of those cases where you see in the movies where if I fight hard enough, if I, you know, put in enough effort, then then it'll all come out in the end and, and I'll be a hero. It's not not one of those situations, unfortunately. Uh, I'd love it to be, but and I put every bit of effort in to be here for my daughter and my husband, but it's just not that, that kind of situation. Okay, so you're in palliative care at the moment. What does that actually mean? Palliative care is often used uh, to give respite, um, but it's the pointy end for you now, isn't it? Yeah. It's end of life. Look, I'm really glad you asked because when the first time someone mentioned the word palliative, i got to tell you I cried straight away because I don't know what, I didn't know what the word palliative means. The only, time, only context I've ever had it in it was with grandparents um, where they're, you know, very frail in a bed for two or three days, and um, and it's it's it, as you say the very pointy end. It's 
it's the very last little bit of your life. And, and in actual fact, I guess it is in some ways, but it's also so much more. Um, if you can take that picture out of your mind, what it really is for someone that's 35 and cannot take any more chemo, it's, it, it can be the last day, it can be the last week, it can be the last couple of months. It really is um, trying to get those last, uh, sorry, it's the bit that people don't know. It's the unknown part of the end of life process. It, It could be so long, it could be so short and that's just humanity or that's just the human condition is that we can't control it and we don't know how long certain things are going to be. So you don't know how long you've got left? No, and no one does, and you're a fool if you think you do. <laughs> I think. But you're not coming out, are you? Pardon? You're not coming out of palliative care? No, I'm not coming out, and, and that's a really tough um, decision. Not that it's really, you're, you don't really control that decision in many ways, but it's a very hard thing to come to with your your partner if they're involved or, um, you know, with your family because, of of course, I want to be here for years long. But if um, if that's not the case, you really need to be honest with yourself and honest with your family because if you're not, you can't prepare. You can't uh, have conversations with them that are really, really important. Um, like, for example... My husband and I have to talk about how we would like to raise our child and if I don't acknowledge the fact that I'm in palliative care and that I'm at that pointy end, then I don't get a say in how my daughter is raised and that's silly. I mean, that's unfair on me. Yeah. So when you were first diagnosed and you were part of our young women's program then, you were pregnant with Rory and... Uh, you had plenty of fight. You were very much um, a pragmatist, but you were also, I remember your quote saying, you know, I'm arrogant enough to believe that maybe I might be that small percentage that can beat this. (laughs) When did you transition and so how have you arrived at where you're at now in your thought process? Look, I, I transitioned through the advice of medicine. It's not really, it's not my decision, but what what is your decision is how you approach the world and how how much joy you bring into every day. And I realised that if I don't approach every day deciding to beat this back then, like we're talking back then, um, if I didn't approach every day saying, no, it's not going to get me, it's not going to get me, then I wasn't going to find the joy in those days. And I found a lot of joy. So if I decided back then that palliative care was going to start all the way back then, which the medicine didn't decide, <coughs> um, I wouldn't have been able to travel as much as, much as I did. Um, I would have made all these decisions for myself that kind of take me to the sidelines way too early. And, and I wasn't prepared to do that. I wanted to, I wanted to enjoy life and um, go travelling and help BCNA and, 
you know, I wanted to be part of the world still. So what has been the turning point? Do you have acceptance? Do you have anger? What are some of the emotions that you've now got now that you're basically in the place that you're going to die? Um, all of them. <laughs> every, every emotion that you can imagine I probably have every single day. Um, I, I think I accept my diagnosis. I accept that in less than a couple of months or however it's going to be, uh, I won't be here anymore. Um, but then I don't accept it and, <laughs> you know, the doctor will say something and I'll say, but is there any more chemos on the, on the horizon? How's the immunotherapy going? And, and he's, he kind of gives me this look and he says, okay, we'll go through this again. And he, and he goes through the process again of where the world is at in terms of my diagnosis uh, reflected on, on all the current medicines. And, and, and he's, he's happy to do that. He's happy to talk me through every single time and, you know, every single time we come to the same conclusion that it's, we're not, not, <laughs> the world's not there yet. Um, I think, you know, my personal opinion that if this had happened in the future, um, maybe immunotherapy might be a little bit further along or something else might be a little bit further along and, and things would be different. But they're not right now and and every time I let myself drift back into thinking um, maybe they are where we want them to be, I have to emotionally get myself all the way back to they're not there yet, which is tough. Mm-hmm. So I sort of choose not to do it. I, I find um, this whole process has been one of extraordinary sadness sometimes but also extraordinary joy and kindness and fun um, and I prefer to stay in that end and, and relish in it, just, you know, dance around in the, in the confetti that is, that is um, cancer sometimes. <laughs> So how do you find joy when oh, it's such a sad time, isn't it, for everyone? It, it is and it isn't. It's sad if you want it to be. Um, and, and it's sad implicitly too. I can't, I can't deny that. But there is so many opportunities for me to sit here and go, oh, I'm not going to see my, my daughter go to school for the first day. Done that one or I'm not going to see my daughter graduate high school, been there for quite some time, Um, or, you know, all the basic things that you think of when you have your first child. I have sat there and um, wallowed in that moment for, for some time and then sometimes too long, and that didn't give me any joy no fun. <laughs> that that place is no fun at all. So I decided to find places that, that do give me joy. And, you know, one of them is my daughter, who is so weird sometimes. And I absolutely love watching her grow up now. Like, for some reason, she's walking around with her bumbo, and she puts it down the floor, and then sticks her head in it with her legs straight. 
and just head straight down the bumbo. And I have no idea why she's doing this, but she does. And that gives me so much joy. And if I focus on that and I um, sit and enjoy that moment, cancer doesn't exist. Do you find yourself trying to protect those around you, the, the people that you love? Um, I Will they talk about it with you is my question. No, they won't talk about it with me. Um, I probably should protect them more. I don't because I think that um, they need to face reality and the quicker they face reality, the easier it is on them. Um, that's so is that, is that a real issue? Is that that no one really, are people dancing around the fact that you're going to die? <laughs> Probably some people. <laughs> I am a lawyer, so you never know. Um, uh, look, I, then, I think what we're doing right now is um, finding the joy in every moment. So... My birthday last year, we went crazy. We just, <laughs> we had so much fun and spent way too much money on a 35th birthday. Um, but in the long run, you know, the, the money doesn't matter um, and, and the joy does. And I have people come from everywhere. I think we had about uh, over 100 people um, which is huge. I don't. I couldn't believe that over that like that many people would come and um, you know yeah. enjoy the day with me. It's uh, it, it was a real it was a real pleasure. It was a real joy. So um, yeah, I don't think people are necessarily dancing around. I think people are maybe coming on board and realizing that it's not all that bad. There is good sides to it too. I try to pull the card every time we're playing board games and say, you can't do that, I've got cancer. Um, it, it doesn't always work. My brother-in-law has no tolerance for it. Um, <laughs> I try to do it when there's not much cake left so I can get the last piece of cake. I have done that quite a few times, especially when it's ice cream cake. Oh, yeah. Um, In all seriousness, though, would you like to talk about it more? Do you, or you obviously talk about it with your husband? Um, I think. Every, do you wish? Yeah. You could have the conversation. I do. With others. I, I wish people weren't so scared of it. I mean, you know, you've you've heard me say before that talking about it doesn't make it happen any quicker, and and I I feel like people around me feel that that you know if they say something, you know it. It might happen quicker. Like it, I, I don't know. It's a weird thing. I think that must be a very common uh, emotion for people who are, you know, who have loved ones that are, are dying. They think by discussing their fears or discussing their sadness that you're not going to be around will upset you. Is that how you feel? Um, is it about saying goodbye? Is there a need to say goodbye? I don't think how could anyone be sad if someone else expresses that they're, that they're, they would be sad if you weren't around? I think that's a wonderful thing to tell someone. Um, you know, if, if someone said to me, I really want you here forever, thanks. That's really nice. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so strange. 
um, that people sort of think that. The other thing that I find very weird is that um, they don't they don't want to be sad because they've sort of likened stoicness to strength. So they think if they don't cry or they don't express anything sad or anything, anything around me, that's stoic, um, I don't know how else to explain it, sort of stiff up a lip um, approach to me is going to somehow make me feel like they've got everything under control and that they're okay. And I, I don't care. I mean, I, I do care if they're not okay. But if they're not okay, it, it's okay, you know. Mm. <laughs> we'll, we'll get yeah. through it together. We've, we're best mates. We've got through everything else together. But being stoic doesn't make m- me feel any more loved. It just makes me feel like, or maybe they don't feel that. Maybe they, they don't love me because they're not expressing it. I think you've got to be honest with your emotions with people because the wrong message will be transferred. And I don't know if you want that. Mm. So how have you prepared? Do you feel like you're prepared? Have you? (laughs) Do you know the one thing that's stressing me out right now is I have these big plastic tubs and I call them my sentimental boxes and they've got everything in there from my ballet shoes, my horse riding um, ribbons, my running race ribbons, my um, like everything you can imagine, my beret from when I was in the army, um, <laughs> my PT T-shirt from when I was in the army, like the physical training T-shirt. It's got a lot of crap in there. <laughs> um, but it's also got my diaries from when I was younger as well and I'm really worried that <laughs> the wrong people are going to read them. And, and now what I've done is just told everyone to go and read them <laughs> by, by telling you. What, while you're still here? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've just told you about them. No one knew about them before. But, uh, <laughs> um, oh, okay. <laughs> that, that's a nice surprise. I know. Oh, my gosh. I'm an idiot. Um, yeah, like they have, they have everything in there and, and I'm worried that people, when I die, I can't, you know, defend them and stop people from going through and having a good laugh about uh, who I thought I was when I was in United in high school. <laughs> You've, um, you certainly at no point have, have lost your sense of humour. I'm sure there have been some really dark times for you, but you do have a very dry sense of humour. <laughs> BCNA's Helpline provides a free, confidential phone and email service for people diagnosed with breast cancer. BCNA's experienced team will help with your questions and concerns and provide relevant resources and services. Call 1800 500 258 or email contact at bcna.org.au. I think, is that the thing about palliative care? When people think palliative care, it's the end. Mm. Within that palliative care space, it's still very much a roller coaster, is it not? Yeah, very much. And and it's about um, what you've done beforehand. And um, I did not want to talk to the doctors in palliative care beforehand. 
I did not want to come down to um, there's a there's a uh, facility here in Canberra called Clare Holland House. I did not want to come down and um, inspect the property um, and see what it's like and talk to the doctors before all this happened um, because I wasn't ready to give up. I wasn't ready to to hear palliative care. It wasn't on my in my brain. Um, but because I did, I created a relationship with the head doctor here and he and with all the, the fabulous nurses here and they had a file on me and they'd spoken to me and they knew what I wanted and that was so, so good because I was just grateful for the fact that um, even though my husband knew uh, what was going on, they knew as well, and I had people looking out for me. Even though, even though what do you mean by that? What what you wanted? Oh, they knew that I wanted to. Um, I didn't want to die in a hospital. I absolutely was definitive about that, um, and they knew that I was a bit uncomfortable about dying at home. Um, and if they could find a third option, then that would be preferable. And they did. They found Claire Holland House for me and a bed for me here. So. Um, yeah. So does that bring you a level of comfort, you know, with so much uncertainty in the last two and a half years? Now it seems like you've got a bit of certainty. Um, yeah. I, I, and, you know, that's the, the point that I have no certainty in my life at all. Um, and it's like you're standing on a rug and there's someone shaking it all the time. It's constantly shake, 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 and you're trying to balance and you're trying to be okay. Um, so simple things really do knock you over. You cling on to everything that you can find because at this point in my life, uh, aside from my beautiful daughter and my extraordinary husband, I don't have any stability. So I can't look forward to um, to her to holidays with my friends I've just had to cancel them all um you know I can't I can't really count on anything to be honest and so um the only stability is my room (laughs) and it's dumb to be so connected to a room for god's sake but I am (laughs) Mm. um as I said in the introduction sadly you're likely to be one of three thousand that will die this year of breast cancer. So there's a lot of people going through what you are and will face what you're facing. What would you like them to know? Um, we, we actually said that last year. We said it's likely that you'll be one of the 3,000 people in 2019 that will die of breast cancer. And I'm not. <laughs> so I haven't lost all my fight. Um, but, yes, I, I won't, I know I won't make 20, uh, 2020. Um, what I want people to know is um, joy helps. Joy helps. Joy is like the antidote to everything. And if you, if you enjoy knitting or if you enjoy um, watching bike races or, your grandkids doing playing soccer or whatever brings you joy, do it over and over and over again because 
um, it's, it's the antidote. It makes things better. It really does. Well, I want to thank you for not only your time now, but for everything that you've given to the BCNA community because it's through your honesty and the open discussions that you've had all the way along this that I'm sure so many others are going to benefit. Oh, that's okay. Is there anything else you need from me? Oh, you've done more than enough, Jules, more than enough. (laughs) We at BCNA were so thankful to Jules for sharing her sadness and joy in the hope that it will benefit others. A week after recording the podcast, Jules died peacefully, surrounded by her family and a lot of helium balloons. It was her 36th birthday. If you or someone you know would like more information on end of life, BCNA's My Journey online tool is a wonderful resource. You can find it at bcna.org.au. Our helpline is also available to answer any questions. For any individual concerns, please contact your health professional. This episode of Upfront was produced with thanks to Dry July. I'm Kelly Curtin. It's good to be upfront with you.